Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Um, hi, this is Leland Whitehouse. I'm an events intern with the Yale Sustainable Food Project, and I'm in the studio today with Jackson Landers, hunter, author, and adventurer. Um, Jackson grew up in a vegetarian household and started hunting for food as an adult. Uh, he's now a hunting instructor and a guide who's taught hunting skills to a whole range of people, including vegans, grandmothers, and chefs. Uh, he's an author. He's put out a couple of books recently, The Beginner's Guide to Hunting Deer for Food and Eating Aliens, which is a book about uh, invasive species and ways to make them tasty. Uh, and he is counted among the uh, founders of the Invasive War Movement, among other things. He's been featured in a whole range of uh, national media outlets, including the New York Times, Time Magazine, and the Washington Post. And uh, he lives near Charlottesville, Virginia at the moment with two kids. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I thought uh, for this, we'd start out talking about hunting as a uh, one of these things that it's a, uh, in some ways, a lost art, not a part of the, the daily lives of the number of people it, it maybe at one point was. Um, can you uh, just talk a little bit about um, why you found hunting uh, to make practical sense in a world where grocery stores and food is so is so available? Why does it make sense to bring this uh, thing we've lost back into practice? Well, why plant a garden? Why bake a loaf of bread? Uh, you know, I see hunting as a critical component of the local food movement, and it's something that's that's been missing for a while. And and I think if you talk to people who've gotten into organic farming, you know, at first, uh, I, I've known a, a great many vegetarians and vegans who decided that they were going to start growing their own vegetables in their backyard, and and maybe they want to scale that up and start taking it out to farmers markets. And um, it, it's funny how after a few years of doing that, sometimes their attitudes towards hunting change when they find that a lot of their crop is going into the bellies of deer rather than themselves um, and, and customers. But I think there's a lot of reasons why um, hunting makes sense uh, right now, why, why we need more people doing it um, uh, to be hunting for food. Um, we are, as a society, we're doing so much kind of, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I guess navel-gazing about where our food comes from, and in particular where our meat comes from. And we're looking for ways of eating more ethically. We're taking a hard look at factory farming, and you know, there's a lot of demand now for meat that doesn't have that, that, that is as cruelty-free as possible. You know, you want animals out of cages. You want free range. You want you don't want uh, antibiotics and hormones and things like that. And wild meat is a way of getting all those things. You know, if you want to eat meats and you want to be as ethical about it as you can, you know, if you shoot a deer in the wild, it leaves a good lives a good normal happy deer life, uh, and then it has one bad day. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about, next to picking up roadkill, which I have done, uh, I think that's probably the most ethical way of, of getting animal protein. What's the, uh, what's the deal with roadkill? What's, what's fair roadkill? What's, do you have to see it killed to, uh, to Boy, pick that's it up? my rule now. Uh, the first <laughs> time I picked up roadkill was, for, uh, was when I was teaching um, uh, deer hunting classes, uh, groups. I would have uh, up to 10 people at a time. They would come and learn all the basic skills. And they, it was a science class about, about uh, deer, basically, with labs, which would include marksmanship and, um, and taking apart a deer into its um, uh, various components and cooking it and eating it. Uh, so everyone learned how to skid and butcher. And 
this is before I had found a deer farm to get deer from, and I needed to have a deer on the ground for the class to work on. And I had a couple of government biologists who said, don't worry, we'll get you a deer. And they were out hunting for one uh, that morning so that the class would have, uh, have a, something to work on for the lab. And they didn't get one, and so they uh, they picked up a said, well, this is a real fresh deer. These biologists had picked up by the side of the road and said, I drove by last night and it wasn't there, and it was here this morning. So it's going to be great, and they brought it over to me, and um, and it looked okay, and I opened it up, and it was just the most horrible uh, dissection experience of my life. It stank. <laughs> Fortunately, I had other meat that I'd put away, other whole quarters of meat that we were able to use for the fi- finished butchering and cooking later. We didn't eat it, but it was awful. And um, so um, my rule is if I I have to if I finish it off. If somebody else hit it and I finish it off, it's fair game. Okay. And I do get a few deer like that every year. You know, in rural Virginia, people hit deer, and if I see it get hit, or if I hit it, or if I come up, find it still moving by the side of the road, I'll finish it off and, and take that home. I think that's I think that's a good rule of thumb. Never never like bullfrogs or possums or. Uh, you know, the most unusual, no, uh, bullfrogs and possums I have not eaten by the side of the road. The, the, I think the most dramatic roadkill I've I've picked up, again, it was it, road injured uh, this past summer. Uh, was I had a woman in front of me hit a uh, small black bear uh, that I had to finish off uh, by the side of the road. His back legs were paralyzed. The bear was done, and there was nothing to do for it. Um, so I finished it off uh, and um, got permission from the officer working the scene of the crash to bring it home. And that was my introduction to eating bear, which it turned out to be delicious, actually. Good deal. And and uh, and <laughs> I, my conscience is clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess to speak to conscience uh, on some level, I've heard uh, Michael Pollan and Joel Salatin, both who are some pundits in the sustainable food movement, uh, talking about confronting the idea of death in relation to, to eating meat, where we've uh, become so divorced from the process that leads to a boneless, skinless chicken breast winding up on our plate uh, that we've sort of forgotten that an animal had to get killed in order for that to happen. Um, does that line of thinking factor at all into your... That's valuable. Yeah, that, and that was, a, that was actually a big part of why I started hunting. I didn't grow up doing this. Uh, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a vegetarian house. And... Um, is when I got older, I discovered I kind of like eating meat. And the, the reason why I started hunting was, um, you know, I grew up in a household where we, we, we cooked everything from scratch. If I wanted a cookie, no one was opening a package. It was just, here's, here's the recipe card, go to work, you know. And so I was, you know, baking when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. And uh, so, but the one thing I didn't learn how to do was how to cook meat. And so when I was out on my own as an adult, you know, with my own house, uh, I had to learn how to cook meat. And I would, I would take the steak home from the grocery store and I would cut it open very carefully and I would I didn't want to touch the raw meat with my bare hands. I would take a like a fork and kind of slop it around the marinade and I just didn't want anything getting I didn't even want to touch the marinade that the raw meat had been in like it had cooties. Uh-huh. And um, but somehow once this was cooked this was okay. Then then I'm going to put it in my mouth and I started thinking that this is just a very weird thing. If I'm so uncomfortable with what meat is and that it's this weird dead thing, why am I putting it in my mouth? It didn't make any sense. And I thought that I needed – and I don't say that everyone needs to do this. I'm not saying this is something that I, I don't impose this, this on other people. But for myself, I decided that I needed to confront where meat came from. And I decided I was going to hunt, kill, butcher, and eat uh, a deer. A deer seemed to make sense because I thought there's a lot of bang for your buck. It's a big animal, a whole lot of meat. And so that was the goal I set for myself. And I thought that I would go into that experience and, and I figured there's a 50-50 chance I would come away from that and say, I'm never going to eat meat again. I really thought that might end up happening. As it turned out, I was pretty okay with the whole – I was so comfortable and happy with the whole process. I never really looked back. 
Do you ever find with your students or people who come to you uh, for their first hunting experience, wide, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed looking forward to some fresh meat, and then after confronting the some of the messier sides, just like a, a bloody animal dead on the ground, or does it... Do people ever quit halfway through? Is that and, a- and again, that's it's funny. When I started teaching, started teaching classes, and started guiding, I do guided. You know, one I do work as a hunting guide about three months out of the year, and and I specialize in adult beginners. It's just people who want to learn the craft of hunting. I don't do trophy hunts or anything like that. Uh, I thought that there were going to be a certain number of students who just sort of like couldn't face it and scrubbed out and said, mm-hmm. "I can't handle this," which I understand. It's an emotionally challenging thing, but never once. I mean, I've taught hundreds of people how to hunt, and I grant, I grant you, it is, a, for the most part, a self-selecting group. I mean, there are people who've decided to come and do this, but I've had such diverse uh, types of people come and, and learn with me, you know, including practicing vegans and vegetarians, you know, people from all different cultures. I've had, you know, people from, from India and Ghana and South Africa and, and uh, Germany and, and everywhere um, uh, come to hunt with me or, or to do um, butchering demonstrations. Nobody has ever freaked out or said, I can't do this, you know, and every time I do a field dressing demonstration where we have a, a deer on the ground and the whole, whole group, you know, we're passing, you know, putting knives in people's hands and they're participating in skinning and gutting and butchering. They're not just watching, they're doing it every single time, five minutes into it, everyone is smiling. Hmm. Uh, so go figure. I think it's just a very human thing. It's, it's something that human, hum, I mean, homo sapiens have been hunting probably longer than we've been homo sapiens. Uh, and, and the whole idea of a vegetarian diet, while I respect you know that that choice for many people, and for some people it's a diet that works well for them, for others not so well. But the whole idea of doing that—that's a very recent thing. That's the blink of an eye. You know, uh, I mean, um, uh, I guess in India they've been doing it longer, but for most of the world, this is something that's just a very recent fad. Just in you know, in, in the last few centuries, people started doing here and there. Uh, you know, for millions of years, I, 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 we and our ancestors have been hunting. Uh, for food. And, and of course, we're omnivores. We're eating other things also. But it makes sense for this to be something we can emotionally handle, that once you get into it, we should be comfortable with it. You know, it's it's as natural as as foraging or as, you know, standing in the, the sunlight or, or any of the other, you know, basic things we do for survival. Why is it that meats like venison that are tasty and nutritious and, and for the most part, easily accessible, why are these meats not... Uh, part of common like a part of dinner for for more Americans why aren't they available in grocery stores why don't uh why doesn't venison play a bigger well, uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, and I do, I do think that um, there's a good case to be made that uh, venison, that, uh, uh, meat from, from deer, is, is generally healthier than most of what you'd get in the grocery store. Um, but it's, it's not um, as practical to farm. And you can farm, farm deer, uh, but for example, like whitetails, the, the species of deer that we have here in the uh, east, east coast of the United States, uh, whitetails, you can farm them, um, but there are you get more problems with disease. Uh, for example, or chronic waste and disease is a, is, a, is a big problem, and a lot of um, deer farms are being sort of regulated out of existence because of that. They're they're not animals that um, would normally congregate in herds year round. Uh, it's illegal to sell uh, venison, wild venison from or you know, meat from any designated game animal for the most part in North America. 
uh, and there's good reason for that um, because we don't want to we don't want to create a market hunting situation where we run out of native species, which is something that a problem we were running into in the 1800s. Uh, you know, cattle tolerate each other in large groups very well, and per animal, you know, for each head of, of cattle, that you know, you, it would probably cost about the same budget for veterinary care for I, I think for a cow as it would for a deer, and you get a lot of meat out of the cow. Uh, so it's econo- it's basic economics. I'd say if you wanna if you wanna feed your family on venison, if you wanna be eating a lot of it, basically you're gonna have to start hunting. Got it. And is it for for your sort of standard uh, two and a half kids, white picket fence, suburban family? Is are there some uh, some considerations about where you where to go for that deer? I think a lot of us grew up in the suburbs with deer munching on our parents' begonias or whatever. Um, Obviously, you can't fire a gun in every community in, in right. America, but is there, like, do, do we need to be worried about pesticides or are these, is, are these things that deer process well enough that it's not a concern? Yeah, um, in terms of uh, meat safety, it's usually not a concern because uh, for the most part, any, any um, uh, pesticides or things like that that the deer might be exposed to part of the time, those are things that you better believe. If, you're, if, our, if our baseline is meat at the grocery store, you know, you better believe you go to the grocery store and you buy, you know, a couple of pounds of ground chuck that the there's way more of that that's deliberately applied to the food sources that, I mean, you're, when you look at how they grow, um, you know, how do you, how do you produce, um, in terms of farming, how do you produce um, a cow's worth of meat? Well, you have a whole bunch of corn and they're spraying that whole, they've got the Roundup resistant, Monsanto's Roundup resistant strain. They're spraying Roundup all over that. They're fertilizing the heck out of it. They're dumping all kinds of stuff in there and they're taking that you know, full of chemicals and they're feeding that corn to uh, to the cow. And, and at least the deer may be ranging outside of that stuff sometimes. Uh, in all of the studies I've seen, and, and whitetails are probably one, are maybe the most uh, widely studied wild species of animal in North America. Every state has a game department that's studying them. Uh, food safety just hasn't really been an issue. So I think it's pretty safe to do. In terms of where to go, you know, as far as how, what, uh, land access is concerned, you know, we have a tremendous amount of public land in North America available for people to hunt on, uh, especially in eastern states. That's a pretty un- unique thing about North America. I mean, this is probably the best place in the world, I think, the eastern U.S., particularly the southeast, uh, to be a, a locavore hunter, to be someone hunting for food because we have so much. There's wild food. There's places to hunt it. The le- cost of a license is pretty low. Um, you know, there aren't a whole lot of hurdles to jump through. The the licensing class is actually free. Um, in some cases, you may be able to hunt literally in your own backyard. I mean, I, I have. Um, and, and even in urban areas, in, some, in a lot of communities uh, in towns and cities, there are actually urban archery uh, programs going on now when there's a big deer pro- pro- problem. And so people are just, you know, you shoot a bow off your deck and nobody even has to hear a gunshot. Um, you know, obviously check your local laws, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, before doing that. But, um, yeah, if, if you want to hunt for food, there's probably some place where you can do it within a 45-minute or hour drive from your home. And so uh, – for those of us like sold on the sold on the concept and maybe uh, just taking a, unsure of where to start, can you just walk us through like um, I live in a house in the suburbs. I want to start shooting deer. Uh, where do I need to start? What do I need to buy? How much is it going to run me? Uh, that sort of thing. You know, um, the first thing to do is to take the free licensing class. 
the hunter safety, hunter ed class. That class will not teach you how to hunt deer per se. Uh, it won't teach you the craft of, of doing it successfully, but it teaches you how to, um, how to hunt without uh, hurting anyone or breaking any laws. So take, take the free class. And you might ma- meet people, and maybe you'll meet someone in the class that can um, you know, maybe act as a mentor or somebody you can learn with. Um, so do that. I mean, every state offers those classes for free. Go to your state's game department website and, and or just search for, you know, Google search for hunter safety class plus your state. I'm sure you'll find something very quickly. And these classes are generally free. So I would say do that. And then whatever animal you're going to, you want to hunt, if you don't have somebody else to teach you, I am a believer in becoming a student of the animal. Um, I, I don't want to be too crass plugging my own book, but I do have a book uh, aimed at adult beginners, the beginner's guide to hunting deer for food. And it's basically intended to get people. It's, it's was the first book of its kind. I think other people have, have since written things like this, but you know, for a long time and until very recently, either you grew up hunting, hunting and, and you were, had an older relative who taught you to do it, or you had no interest in it at all. So there just haven't been resources until now. And the resources still are pretty, pretty thin, but I would say become a student of the animal. Again, my, my, my book can give people a pretty good idea of, of what they need to learn. Uh, study the animal, understand the ecology, understand the place where you are hunting and everything that's going on there, and become proficient with your weapon, whether it's a rifle or a bow or a shotgun. Uh, become proficient with it, practice it, and take that seriously. Uh, could you talk, you mentioned you grew up in a vegetarian household, yeah. and the, uh, the first time you encountered raw meat, it was an experience. Could you just walk us through the, the uh, process of, of uh, leaving a vegetarian household and you know, ten years later, be kneeling in front of a gutted buck somewhere in the woods. How, how did that transformation? Happen? Yeah, I mean, it was. It didn't happen all at once. You know, um, I, I fell off the wagon meat wise long before I, you know, I moved out. Although I think it was, I was somewhere between ten and twelve years of age. I forget exactly how old I was. Somewhere right around there when I had my first uh, hamburger. Uh, but uh, you know, I grew up in a house with, um, you know, my my. My family, we didn't um, hunt or shoot or anything like that. You know, one thing that did actually help, though, is my father did uh, take my brother and I uh, fishing sometimes. And that's really valuable to have that context that you can put it in of, okay, it's like gutting the fish but bigger. You know, it's so easy to learn things like that when you're very young and you don't think it's gross. If nobody tells you this is supposed to be something you're creeped out by, then you just sort of take it in stride and you just do it. And that was a really big help when I gutted my first year. I sort of tried to put it in that it's it's like the fish, it's but a bigger. big hairy fish. Yeah, right? big hairy fish. That's that's right. And that context, um, you know, really hurt. But I, you know, I made a, a, a series of deliberate decisions to uh, create a different life for myself. Um, you know, and I, I grew up uh, for a long time. I lived in the um, suburbs of um, uh, Columbia, Maryland, between Baltimore um, uh, and uh, and Washington D.C. And I lived in London for a while when I was a kid. And then uh, when I was a teenager, we moved uh, to Charlottesville, Virginia. But I grew up for a long time in this sort of you know suburban life. It was very much uh, apart from nature, unless you really made an effort to seek it out. And so I had to make a series of conscious decisions to put myself in the wild and to become you know a um, a hunter and now now a professional hunter it wasn't something that i just you know that i just fell into it was something that i had to deliberately seek out and and create in my own way and could you uh just quickly everybody's got that uh, their favorite hunting story can you talk about one of your one of your favorite hunts one of the ones that that stands out in your memory boy uh 
There's so I don't I don't want to get too. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that's not going to be too <laughs> too gruesome, <laughs> too here. gruesome for your audience. Actually, I can tell you something that just I, I don't I, I don't know if I can come up with my favorite off the top of my head. I'll just tell you my most recent. I, I just returned actually from uh, an expedition to the Florida Everglades, where I was hunting invasive uh, invasive pythons, um, which are they're a big problem. They're a top predator that was um, introduced recently, and they don't belong there. And so I went down there for this uh, python hunting contest that they actually have going on. And while I was there, I was also working on a fishing article for uh, Outdoor Life while I was there. But uh, I'd never hunted uh, pythons before. And um, I had hunted a little bit in Florida. In the Florida Keys, I'd hunted uh, invasive iguanas. But that was a very different environment. It was actually kind of an urban environment even. And this is my first time hunting in the Everglades. And the thing is, I didn't realize quite the reality of this until I got there, that everything bites, you know. Um, and it was just the most um, nerve-wracking thing, walking very, very slowly through this through this jungle. And you realize pretty soon that the big issue is not the pythons, which if you find a python, that is an issue because it's a snake that in that habitat so far gets up to 17 feet long and would probably like to swallow you if it could. Uh, but there's that. There's the alligators. There's the Florida panthers. There's the um, the black bears. And you realize very quickly the majority of the snakes around, not only are they not pythons, but they are venomous. And um, it was just incredibly nerve-wracking. And there was a, there was a moment... Uh, where I'm, I'm walking through the um, uh, th- through this through this thick forest jungle, really, and um, my photographer behind me, um, uh, who also happens, happens to be my girlfriend, said, "Oh, snake!" And I thought I got all excited. I thought it's going to be a python, and I pivoted down, and there was this. Sure enough, there was this great big thick snake, you know, probably about two feet away from my foot, and. I realized suddenly, wait, that's not a python. So I wasn't if, – you know, if you shoot a snake out there in the Everglades that's not the python, you're in a lot of trouble. So I had to be sure not to shoot a, uh, to shoot a python. Not only was it not a python and I wasn't allowed to shoot it, but all of a sudden it just it reared up and just did a straight ass. And I, it, it, stru- it struck at me. It opened its mouth, and I saw the white inside of the mouth. I thought, oh, this is a cotton mouth, isn't it? That's why they call them cotton mouths. Yeah, right. A very venomous snake. And I was about two, hour, two or three hours from the nearest hospital. Normally, you get bit by a poisonous snake. It's not that big a deal. It'll ruin your day, and you go to the hospital. You spend a few days there, and you got a great story. Uh, and maybe it takes a while before you can use that limb again. But when you're three hours from the nearest hospital, it's a lot more trouble. And I jumped back, and I would say, it, you know, it came about about twelve inches um, from from hitting me in the leg, and it was uh, it was really kind of an emotionally strange thing because I I, I I jumped back a step, and the snake is sitting there still in its striking form, and I got some good pictures of it actually, and I'm there with my shotgun, and I felt really bad. I wanted, to, I was so angry at the snake. It's like it's venomous, it's dangerous, it's this deadly thing that tried to kill me, and I wanted to shoot it, and I thought this is bad. I can't. You know, it was a long moment. The the snake looked at me hating me, and I looked at the snake hating it. But you know, neither of us was going to close the deal there. Uh, and I think I think we kind of came to terms with each other. Um, and that was that was sort of my introduction to hunting in uh, in the Everglades. It's a very very challenging environment. Like I said, everything wants to kill you. Well, Jackson Landers, thank you so much uh, for talking to us. Everybody, keep an eye out for uh, the Beginner's Guide to Hunting Deer for Food. And Eating Aliens, I flipped through both of them. They're fantastic. Uh, and it's been great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.